You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. People are beginning to wake up to the downside of the tech world. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. We need to find ways to share this wealth so that people aren't suffering on the streets. You're giving your time to help others, and in the process, it helps you as well. The more people who see what happens over in the courthouse and know what's really going on, people would really be horrified. This is KCBS In-Depth. With the coronavirus spreading, every day it seems there's something new to worry about. New outbreaks, new restrictions, new layoffs. It's a lot to take in. So for many of us, meeting this moment also means learning to manage our own stress and anxiety. I'm Keith Menconi. This is KCBS In-Depth. And today on the program, we're going to be hearing from a San Francisco-based stress and anxiety expert about how we can all better cope in these trying times. If you have a good handle on your emotional health, you are going to cause a lot less grief for yourself and for other people. Then later in the program, another mental health challenge. Social distancing for many has also meant social isolation. But... Does it have to? I think it really is very important for folks to reach out to people so they can know that they're not alone. All that and more coming up. Starting things off, what to do about that coronavirus anxiety? For some insights, we're going to invite back onto the program now Dr. Jonathan Horowitz. He is a clinical psychologist and the director of the San Francisco Stress and Anxiety Center. Uh, Dr. Horowitz, welcome back to KCBS In-Depth. Hi, Keith. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me back on. Absolutely. Now, listeners may remember that the last time we had you on, it was about a year ago, uh, we were discussing anxiety from a very different source that was traffic anxiety from the Bay Area's gridlocked roads. Well, what a different world we are in right now. Uh, anyone who has hit the freeways in recent days can see very claim, uh, very clearly that that is not the issue that we are dealing with right now by any means. So uh, I, I guess I just bring that up to, uh, to, to illustrate the fact that, you know, while many Bay Area residents are likely themselves already very familiar with stress, very familiar with anxious feelings, uh, this current situation that we're in is quite unprecedented. It really is. Yeah, it's, it's really quite a change from... Uh where we were last year. And I think from what everybody in the Bay Area is accustomed to dealing with, you know, this is a stressful place uh, normally. But I think right now we're encountering a source of stress that is just completely unprecedented. Uh, it's, It's totally new. And it's something that we're all trying to adapt to. And I think for a lot of people right now, the uncertainty is really the big factor. We don't know what's going to happen to us individually. We don't know what's going to happen to us collectively, you know, as a nation, as a region. And we don't know how how long all of this is going to go on for. And from an emotional standpoint, psychologically, that's a really difficult, difficult thing to grapple with. Uh, as somebody, uh, Dr. Horowitz, who has a lot of clients that are dealing with stress and anxiety already, what are you and your fellow practitioners hearing from those clients at this moment? What has this very stressful moment done for that uh, underlying stress issue? Yeah, so we're hearing a lot. You know, usually when there's something big that happens, uh, you know, presidential elections, things like that. We, we get some clients who are talking about the stress that it's causing them. 
This one, it's everybody, you know, across the board. I don't think there's anybody right now who's not dealing with an increased stress level because of what's happening with uh, Corona. And so for our clients, we're seeing a number of different things. Uh, we're seeing people who are grappling with the, 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 the virus itself and concerns about, you know, am I going to get sick? Are my family members going to get sick? How do we deal with that? We're also seeing a lot of stress around the financial implications of this. You know, people are worried about their jobs. They're worried about their employers, uh, worried about what's going to happen there. And for our clients who are already struggling with anxiety and depression and other mental health illnesses, uh, this is really a difficult time. A lot of the things that we would normally expect to exacerbate psychological difficulties, uh, you know, are, are, are front and center right now. So social distancing, the isolation that comes along with that, the financial uncertainty, uh, and, and like I mentioned, the overall uncertainty and really the pace of change right now, you know, we're all being asked to sort of change our routines, uh, really remake our lives with really short notice. And that's a really stressful thing for anybody to do at any time. Now, I think uh, just to give some oomph to this conversation and some context for why folks should be listening in, I, I feel like a lot of folks may be thinking, I have so many things to worry about right now, keeping my household afloat, keeping my, making sure that I still have a job. I also need to make sure that I'm washing my hands enough and, and doing all the hygiene things that I need to do to stay safe. Why is my anxiety something that I should be focusing on a, 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 as well? Who, who cares how I'm feeling about all this right now? I'm just going to try to, you know, get through the next day. Why is monitoring our own stress and anxiety and understanding what's going on there, why is that an important thing to be doing right now? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think that this is important because the the way that you are able to handle your emotions, you know, the way you can handle your anxiety, your your irritability, your frustration, all the the negative emotions that come along with a really stressful experience like this, it impacts you and it impacts other people. It impacts the decision that you make, right? So if you have a good handle on your emotional health, you are going to cause a lot less grief for yourself and for other people. So I think it's, it's kind of a matter of responsibility. There's emotional contagion in addition to the uh, contagion itself. Absolutely, yeah. Anxiety is contagious. You know, if you've ever noticed that if you go and you talk to someone and, and you're feeling really anxious and they're very calm, you know, you come away usually feeling a lot calmer. And if, if you're really anxious, you talk to someone who's all spun up and anxious, you're going to get spun up and anxious. You're going to you're going to bounce off each other. Right. Emotions are contagious and emotions guide decision making. And so if you don't have a good handle on your emotions, then, you know, it's 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 problematic. Yeah. And I suppose that's just another way in which really during this lockdown, we are all very much in this together. Uh, switching topics a little bit and looking at another source of stress for many. One really obvious and distinctive feature of being in lockdown is that we are all living on top of one another right now. The people that you live with, you see them all day, every day. They're inescapable. And I'm sure for some households, that is fine and dandy. But I'm also sure that there's many out there for whom, uh, well, you know, that saying familiarity breeds contempt. So I'm sure that nerves are fraying here and there. Is this another source of anxiety and concern that you're hearing from some folks? Oh, you bet. Yeah, we're, we're definitely hearing those concerns from people. And it's coming up from folks both who are uh, 
who are with their partner, you know, or with their immediate family and also with people who have roommates. I know, uh, in, in San Francisco, you know, and in the Bay, it's, it's really common for people to have a roommate or multiple roommates. And so this is definitely something that's coming up, uh, among our clients, you know, how do you deal with the part of it is just being around people for this extended period of time. You know, it's, it's tiresome under the best of circumstances. Right. But then you also have multiple people working from home in the same location, which in many cases here, these aren't big apartments, you know, and, and people are sort of on top of each other. A lot of people are taking care of kids at home, which is incredibly stressful. And, you know, the main thing that we're encouraging people to do, uh, there's a couple things, but, uh, one, one is we're encouraging people to try to have conversations with their roommates or with their family members about good boundaries and about setting setting boundaries and also setting up kind of schedules so they they know uh, where they're going to be working in the house, when they're going to be working, you know, being really explicit or, or around like, these are the times when you can talk to me. Uh, these are the times when I'm going to need some time by myself. Even if I'm in the room with you, I'm going to need to be, you know, I've got my headphones on, I'm, I'm engaged in something else. Um, I think people need to be super mindful of other people's emotions and be very aware at this time. Um, and, you know, it requires some uncomfortable conversations. Uh, for some people, though, this can be a good thing. You know, they can actually find the relationships are improved through this, but it's definitely difficult. All right. Well, we have a lot more good advice on the way. Real quick, though, we want to remind our listeners that you are listening to KCBS In-Depth, our weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. Today on the program, feeling stressed out about the pandemic and lockdown? Well, you are not alone. But there are ways to cope, and we are getting the perspective from Dr. Jonathan Horowitz. He is a clinical psychologist and the director of the San Francisco Stress and Anxiety Center. So next topic that I want to bring up with you, we have seen reports suggesting that there is more drinking going on, alcohol consumption seems to be up, and... Well, not to speculate too much, but you can you can kind of assume that some amount of that drinking is occurring because people are looking for a way to deal with some of this stress and anxiety that we're talking about. So I'm curious for your perspective on this. When does an extra drink here or there to take the edge off become a real problem? And, and, and when are there better ways to deal with that stress and anxiety? Sure. You know, I think there's a time and a place for alcohol, and I wouldn't say that people should not be drinking at all. You know, we're we're a wine growing region, right? Like, it's a big part of our culture here to drink, whether whether people are at home or they're going out and doing happy hours. And there's definitely a way that you can do it that's healthy. I've seen uh, a lot of people are doing these online happy hours now um, after work, where they're having a, a drink or two at home and they're getting on Skype with other people. You know, and they're they're sort of reconnecting in that way. I think that's great. Um, but I think that it becomes problematic really the same way it would if we weren't in this situation. Like if you're drinking every single day, if you're drinking to excess, if it's starting to impair your ability to function, your, your ability to work, I think all the same questions that you would normally ask about problematic drinking really hold right now. Um, and when, you know, in normally we would encourage people to socialize without drinking, to find substitute behaviors for drinking. That's a really important thing in staying away from drinking or, or whatever the substance abuse behavior is. Uh, exercise is a really, you know, that's a go-to one, right? Like exercising after work instead of going to the bar, right? 
it's a little bit more difficult right now because you have to work harder, I would say, to, to get outside. You have to work harder to do a lot of socializing that, you know, we just don't have the same opportunities. But we do encourage people to get creative about those things. And I'm really heartened to see that a lot of these things are going online. You know, there are online yoga classes and there's online gym classes and, and pretty much every social thing that you could be doing in person before, you can now do that online. So you should be able to have a pretty full social calendar, you know, even even in this situation. You know, a lot of the issues that you've raised so far, I'm thinking back to our conversation from about a year ago, it was similar to what you were talking about then, you know, the just the the general things that help you de-stress in normal life, whether it's going out for a run, having some meditation, having some me time. It sounds like all of those still hold during the current crisis as good ways to de-stress right now. Would you say that there are some differences to what needs to be done to cope with this this current challenge, or is this just you know a continuation of de-stressing best practices that we already had? I think that at a fundamental level, it's really the same things, and it's not that complicated. You know, it's it's we know what works, we know what keeps people happy and and healthy. Um, a good social life is really important. Connection with family and friends exercise is super fundamental. And I know that's a difficult one for people right now, but even if it's, you know, exercising at home for a couple of minutes a day, uh, that that's going to be a hugely protective thing. Um, getting outside, getting in the, into nature again, that's complicated. You know, you can't go down and maybe, maybe before you would go hiking or you'd go to big Sur or one of the parks or something like that. You can't do that now, but you can get outside. You can get a walk, go for a walk down the street. Um, when you go for that walk down the street, if you see your neighbors, you know, you can say hi to them, you can connect, you can still have friendly conversations with people. We know that those things are all really good, uh, and, and really protective. And so, you know, we encourage people to do that. And then there's those practices that are really intentionally geared toward, toward emotional health. Uh, meditation is, is hugely important. And there are so many apps available now that you can just download an app and you basically have a meditation teacher in your pocket and um, you don't have to necessarily go out and do that. So yeah, it's the same stuff, but I, I, I think it's just, it has to be, has to be tailored to this situation. Mm. Now, something else that also needs to be tailored to this situation, and I'm uh, somewhat chagrined to uh, put it into the conversation because it uh, hits our own bottom line, but that is regulating your consumption of the news. A lot of people are getting a little bit burned out by uh, hyper-focusing on the most current breaking news all the time, and that can really take a mental toll as well. What's your advice for folks that are feeling that news burnout? Yeah, this is a really important question. Um, so I think even the news that is most responsible and most sober is still really, really alarming right now. So I don't want to, you know, blame the media or say that they're being alarmist or anything. We're in a situation that is really scary right now. And you follow the news and you get bad news every day and it's threatening and, and it's really scary. I mean, it is, um, I think the way to deal with that is to ask, okay, how much do I need? You know, do I need to listen to the news or watch the news, you know, an hour a day, two hours a day? Can I just check in once in the morning and once in the evening? Figure out what for you would be a reasonable amount that's going to allow you to behave in a healthy way, you know, be a responsible citizen, uh, make good decisions, and then try to stick to that. 
Um, you know, a lot of the news, it's, it's, it's sort of designed to pull you in, you know, and it's very alarming. And if, if you're spending hours and hours a day just wrapped up in Corona news and, and that's sort of the most important thing that you're attending to, that's where most of your energy is going. It's really unhealthy. Um, there's not a lot that you can do in the moment. You know, I, I think you watch the news, you make some decisions and that's it. Mm, well, and, and that last point, I think, dovetails with the the final point that I want to bring up in this conversation, and that is the question of where is the line between doing what you need to do to be an informed citizen and being vigilant and washing your hands and taking all the precautions that we are told that we should be taking right now to prevent ourselves from getting sick and prevent the spread more generally? Where's the line between that and becoming an out-and-out hypochondriac, because I will say I am doing a much better job about uh, washing my hands right now, but there are moments where I, I do feel like I'm crossing that line a little bit. Like the, the the fourth time I've done it, you know, in the first half of the day, I'm like, well, do, do I really need to do it that much? And it, at a certain point, it almost becomes a, a compulsion. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's important to acknowledge that we are dealing with a lot of uncertainty right now. Most of the time, we have a pretty good sense of what we need to do to stay safe in whatever it is that we're doing. And right now, it's like the rules are changing in front of us, you know, and, and we're all trying to figure out day to day what we need to do. And there's different sources of information, and it's very alarming. So uh, I think you're not alone in what you're experiencing. I think there are a lot of people right now who are having the same experience. And there are people who were struggling with this kind of thing before they had OCD or they had health anxiety or panic disorder. And now that this is going on, they're, they're having a really, really difficult time. So, um, you know, I think the main thing you can do, and this is what we do in therapy whenever we work with people who, ha who have these kinds of anxiety issues, is we're helping them to change their relationship with anxiety so that they are able to identify when they're feeling exceptionally anxious and to be able to get a little bit of distance from that anxiety to make rational decisions about how they want to respond to it, right? So you can't really let your anxiety be the guide for, for your behavior because there will be times now when you're going to feel super anxious about something and there's no real threat there, right? So you have to basically figure out what, what are you committed to doing that's healthy? How often are you going to wash your hands? Are you going to wipe down packages when you bring them in from outside? Are you going to wipe down surfaces in your home? You know, consult trusted sources of information for recommendations and then decide that these are the things you're going to do. And then as you go along, notice that if you're feeling really pulled to get a lot stricter with these things, right? You did, well, okay, now I feel like I need to wash my hands, you know, every five minutes. Well, that doesn't really comport with the recommendations that you were reading someplace else, right? Like, and I think checking in with people around you who you think aren't really compulsive and aren't driven by anxiety, but you trust their opinion too, you know, asking them like, hey, does this seem reasonable that I'm doing this, you know, based on everything you've heard? And I, I think that'll sometimes help people when they get really up in their head about, are they doing too much? Are they a hypochondriac, you know? I, I, I guess just to wrap that up in a bow, what I'm taking away from what you're saying right now is how anxious you feel about something or your, your level of stress about something is not a good guide to how you should be responding to it right now. Absolutely not. No, your level of anxiety is not a good guide to how you should respond to, to many things uh, much of the time. 
Yeah, and I think that this this COVID crisis right now provides an opportunity for many of us to really observe what our reactions are like. Notice, you know, when you listen to the news and you hear certain things, notice what it does to your anxiety level. And then notice how your anxiety level affects your behavior. Um, I think that, you know, this is something that you can practice with. It's something you can work with. When we do therapy, we do cognitive behavioral therapy with clients. We're really teaching them to work with their emotions and learn how to use them in skillful ways. Yeah, a lot of challenges, a lot of new unfolding realities, but hopefully some useful advice here as well for our listeners. That advice was coming from Dr. Jonathan Horowitz. He once again is a clinical psychologist and the director of the San Francisco Stress and Anxiety Center. Dr. Jonathan Horowitz, thanks so much. Thanks, Keith. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth our weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. Today in the program, staying mentally well during a time of pandemic. Of course, a big part of staying mentally well is staying socially connected. But staying close with others is getting pretty tricky, given that we're supposed to be socially distancing. As we've heard, the social isolation is already taking a toll, and... It's especially true for many of the Bay Area's older residents. A lot of our older adults, their anxiety and stress is really rising. Kathy Mahalik is the executive director of Little Brothers Friends of the Elderly. It's a nonprofit focused on the problem of loneliness among older adults. To help address that problem, the group matches elderly San Francisco residents with volunteers who offer up their time and companionship during regular visits. Mahalik says since the outbreak began, a whole lot of new volunteers have been stepping forward. We sent out an email, you know, the, maybe the second week in March, and within 45 minutes, we had 100 volunteers saying, I'll, I'll, take, I'll be a phone volunteer to the elderly. A very positive show of support, but you just heard her use that word phone volunteer? Well, they've had to make these visits by phone rather than in person as they usually would. Because the outbreak, of course, would make any contact, especially with the elderly, potentially quite dangerous. There's a lack of personal interaction face-to-face because everything is done over the phone. It's been a big sacrifice, but even amid these difficulties, volunteers are still putting in the work to stay connected, to dispel isolation, and to make others feel valued. And Mahalik has some ideas about how the rest of us can do that too. So for the remaining program, we'll be hearing from this longtime frontline fighter in the battle against loneliness about how we could all do a better job of confronting this new challenge. So of course, loneliness is an old problem, but we are dealing with it in a very new reality. So what is your advice to those that do want to reach out and do want to make other people feel less isolated right now? What what can be done given the limitations that we're facing? You know, I think there's a lot, even in this sheltering in place, that anyone listening could really do something. And I think that, you know, if you know you have a, an elderly neighbor in your apartment building or next door or across the street from you, I think 
just dropping them a card in their mailbox saying, hey, I'm thinking of you, you know, just to cheer their day. Also, put a note on their door with your phone number and say, hey, you know, I'm your neighbor. I may, we may not have met or I've said hello to you in the elevator, but here's my phone number. If you need something, a prescription, or if I can go to the grocery store, I would love to do that. And I think what's really important is for folks to know say, please put a phone number because a lot of our older adults don't text. And I think that is a mode of communication so many people use today, but understand that maybe a phone call and your phone number would be the best idea. Maybe just putting a flower or a plant or something outside their door so they know that they're not alone. Yeah. Now, uh, the, the flip side of all this, though, it, it occurs to me that a number of those steps, if, if you did take them, it would be pretty easy to come off as though you were pitying that person or you felt like they were a victim. And that really wouldn't be a good feeling either. So uh, curious for your perspective, how do you reach out to somebody and not make them feel like you're looking down on them? Right. Oh, that is such a great point, because, you know, what we do at LBFE is talk about that it has to be a reciprocal friendship, that everyone, that the older adult has something to offer in that relationship, as well as that younger person or middle-aged person or that teenager that may be talking to them. So you you have to say, yeah, I'm not going to go serve these people. I'm looking for an equal relationship. And I have something to offer. And I hope that the person I'm speaking to will will be open enough to share their life experience. So it's an exchange of ideas and discussions and that you start on an equal footing. You're not saving anybody by this phone call. You're just reaching out. And you know what? A lot of younger people are isolated and lonely right now, too. So you know, it's almost you got to be on equal footing. Yeah. And obviously, we've been focusing in this conversation mostly on the loneliness of older adults. But a lot of folks out there are feeling very lonely. And when you do make that move, when you do reach out to somebody to offer some form of companionship, you're helping yourself just as much as you're helping the other person. Yeah, that you know, that is a really great point, Keith. I think that's right. Um we people probably haven't even thought about you know isolation loneliness being a social you know a social issue you know but now it is and so if we can continue to raise awareness of that that would be great because you know we all right now are connecting through devices and you know we're having check-ins with family and friends through zoom or google hangouts or you know skype and facetime and i think what's important is after this is all over and when we put down these devices, I think it's time to have personal face-to-face interactions with new people, young and old alike. And, you know, make sure you put, you incorporate or invite new people into your tribe. And I think some of those have to be the elders in our neighborhood who have served the San Francisco city for years. And now they're alone and isolated. And we have to remember that those people we're instrumental in building how San Francisco is today. And we can't forget about them today. And we certainly can't forget about them tomorrow. Mm. All right. Well, important words to take to heart. We're going to round it out there, though. We have been speaking to Kathy Mahalik. She is the executive director of Little Brothers, Friends of the Elderly. Kathy Mahalik, thanks for joining us. Sweet. Thank you. Thank you for listening. That's it for the program today. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Manconi. Be safe, be well, 
We'll see you next week. been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.